When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menas. I'm joined by my regular co-host, Paul Dennett. Paul, welcome. Thanks, Benners. G'day, everyone. How's your week been, Mr. Dennett? Oh, you know, um, saw some of the tennis on Friday night, which was awesome, down at uh, Rod Laver Arena. Uh, Melbourne Park is always a fantastic place to be. Filmed a little TikTok next to the Shane Warne statue as well. So, yeah, it was um, really cool. I love the Australian Open. Excellent. Um, did you hear Jaleesa and I talking about the unfortunate situation where I can't seem to get you and her together? I did, yes. Um I have a solution for that, but I'll, you know, tell you off air, but I think it's, we, we should be fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've worked it out. I mean, if we could get it, well, I mean, we discussed it on the show, obviously if Jaleesa and I in studio, I've got the tech to, you know, pipe you in, so to speak. Um, but, you know, I, you know, great news. You and I sort of discussed uh, bringing Fatima back more regularly, who's appeared on the show. Um, so she's going to be appearing, I think, this year um, quite frequently. We've organised a microphone for her. She does have a laptop and internet, so she's already doing really well. I cannot tell you, I've had thousands of messages this week about that, that they cannot believe Jaleesa doesn't have a laptop and internet. M- maybe millions of messages. Millions. Uh, it feels like a lot. I thought you were going to get thousands of messages for for spending the first 10 minutes of a podcast talking about logistics. People love to know what's going on behind the scenes. And I think people genuinely thought you and Jaleesa hated each other because you hadn't been in the same podcast for about a year. Um, So we've we've dispelled those rumours. But Fatima, um, you know, who's been on a couple of times, you know, I love what she brings to the show. She's passionate. She's knowledgeable. Um, She can also take a joke, which is important when you're working with me. And um, so, you know, I think she's going to make some great contributions. She brings more of an international flavour. I mean, she follows, you know, England, Pakistan, South Africa. She, she's, so she's got her fingers on the pulse. So she's not going to be on every show, but I, I think it's great to, um, you know, have a third voice to talk some sense when you and I may go a bit crazy. Absolutely. That was good also hearing the last podcast about Jaleesa getting the tickets to Leeds. Um, I still hope to be to be there to be able to join her. But, uh, yeah, um, uh, it's um, Ash is getting ever closer and it's cool that at least one of us is going to be there for at least some of it. Yeah, I haven't discussed with her the the details of her doing some reporting for Cricket Unfiltered while while she's over there. Um, but yeah, I, I think even though she's taking time off uh, her other employees, um, I, she hasn't actually applied for time off from the podcast. So uh, <laughs> I'm expecting a, you know daily reports. She just, I mean, she could actually it will actually suit her tech perfectly because she could just talk into a phone and send it to me, which is about <laughs> the limit of where we're at. So. Um, yeah, we'll get on the spot reports from Jaleesa. Uh, I did hear her on the radio yesterday when she started. She hadn't turned her mic on and she just started talking with the mic off. Um, so anyway, they're plaguing her everywhere. It can happen to anybody. Oh, I had a great afternoon. I went to North Sydney Oval and saw Australia, the Australian women's side, beat Pakistan uh, by eight wickets. It was a, it was a Weird fixture. It started at one forty-five on a Tuesday afternoon, but seemed to really work. The because it was school holidays, they actually got you know probably a, couple, a few thousand people in there. It was very hot, but a lot of the stands with shade were were pretty full, and it was a nice atmosphere. Yeah, I saw your video from the uh, Charlie McCartney stand. Uh, yeah, it looked like it was fun. Um, it, it, you know, um, 
we've uh, talked about before the good and the bad, of, the good and the bad of North Sydney Oval. But ultimately, it's, it is still a pretty good ground to watch cricket from. Yeah, Australia are a much are a much classier outfit than Pakistan, and they won pretty convincingly. But I thought there were signs there that were positive from Pakistan. Their their team's getting better and better, and you know I think it's important that Australia make sure they play these series. That you know you could almost pencil in sort of three nil Australia before they start, but I still think it's the right thing to do. Absolutely, and uh, you know who knows in five, ten, twenty years uh, it could be a very different situation. All right, so in this show, we've got um, all the headlines to get into. Um, for all those people that want to keep politics and sports separate, maybe just switch off now, come back <laughs> next week. Um, so we're getting to all the headlines, and then we go, we've got a, a, quite a few listener questions. We've got some lovely reviews. Um, we don't have a large live audience at the moment on YouTube, but if anyone's watching live and wants to put questions in the comments, do it. Uh, in the background, we've got our um, social media executive James, who's been doing all the stuff, he might join us uh, for Can't Let It Go um, later on. So, um, so yeah, let's get into the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. So, so uh, it's Ash Gardner, the Australian women's player, has spoken out about the Australian women's team playing on January 26th. She said it's a day of mourning and a day of sadness for her Indigenous people and she, she doesn't feel comfortable playing but she is going to play and they're, they're making a lot of efforts to to make the game to make the day recognize this the solemn occasion um so you know it, it's it's a very um you know vexed issue because uh cricket australia are doing the right thing in all their marketing and all their stuff online there's no reference to Jan 26 being Australia Day. And I know some people don't like using the term Australia Day. Um, I used it in the last podcast. And look, I don't mean to upset anybody. That's just, um, you know, what the day's still called. And, um, you know, I think it's probably on the government to make changes there. How do you see the situation, Paul? Um, I think, first of, all, first of all, I think that Australia Day should be changed. Um, the date should be changed. And, I, I, you know, my opinion is there are two reasons for that. Number one, it is the right thing to do. I think you would find that if you explain to a, a you know a foreigner why we have chosen of all the 365 days available this day to be Australia Day, their jaw would drop pretty quickly. Uh, it would be it's an extraordinary day to be um, Australia Day. It's the wrong thing to do to to commemorate a day that. Um, resulted in such pain uh, for the indigenous population of the continent. Um, it, it's just the wrong day to have it. Reason number two, which really doesn't matter, and it's a, you know, reason number one is the only thing that matters. But I think from a pragmatic point of view, even people who don't want it changed must surely acknowledge that it's not working at the moment, that instead of a, a celebration of um, the, the country is in the weeks leading up to it, it's just a debate and culture wars and it's just unpleasant and it's not edifying. Um, so, uh, and the thing is, I've heard a lot of Indigenous people talk about this and they say, we'd love to join with you for the barbecue and the, the backyard cricket and celebrating that this imperfect country still is a great country, um, but we just don't want to do it on that day. And that's where I completely agree with them. So um, move it, keep January 26 as a day of solemn reflection on, on what that all means. Pick any one of the other 364 days for a day where we say, yep, it's not perfect, but let's get the, the boardies on, jump in the pool, have a sausage, have a beer, all those things, and have a laugh and say, Isn't it, we're, aren't we a great country that Daryl Summers and, a, and, a, and an ostrich had a television show for 25 years? <laughs> yeah, and for those listening overseas who wonder um, the significance of the date, so it's the day the, the first fleet arrived um, from Britain and colonised Australia, and as I said, the Indigenous people feel you know, rightly feel that that signifies, you know, massacres, uh, disease, colonisation and things that are very painful for them. And, you know, I don't want to get on my soapbox or get too much into it, but as you say, the date needs to be changed to something way more inclusive. You know, if we're, if we're actually really serious about um, the future of this country, you know, we need to become a republic, ditch ditch the anthem, find a new flag and make our own future. And, you know, until we do that, all these problems are going to come up. Uh, you know, on January 26th, it's Republic Day in India. You know, w when will Australia be able to celebrate something like that? Um, you know, so I just think it's, it's a real mess. And I feel sorry for 
the cricketers being put in this situation. But I, I think overall, Cricket Australia have actually done a really good job. They've stopped um, celebrating anything on January 26th. It's effectively, I think, just another day for them. Like, they, you know, they, Australia played today and in two days they're playing again. Uh, but... In the end, that's probably not good enough now because of the pain and suffering around the date. You can't just sort of carry on like it's another day until something is done to have a proper Australia Day. I agree with you about the the Republic and the flag and the anthem as well. Um, it's inevitable the date is going to change. I don't know about you, but for me, this year seems to have been like a, a watershed moment that uh, the dam has burst. Um, and I think that... The, 26th of January being Australia Day, that is numbered in single finger single figure digits, I think. I think it's going to change sooner rather than later. And I was really disappointed at some of the responses to the tweets about uh, Ash Gardner's stance. Some of the replies, you look at them, God, you know, would you be proud of that reply if your family saw it? Like it's some nasty, just dare I say, un-Australian um, replies in the comments. And I think that People should do better than that. Uh, um, even if you disagree that, and if you think that the date should remain the same, I don't think that some of the comments that were put up there were were, were worthy. No, and uh, Ben Horn wrote an interesting article in the Daily Telegraph today, uh, making a p- the point that next year um, there's a chance that Australia might want to schedule a test match on, against the West Indies to begin on Friday, January 26, because you know the West Indies coming here playing test matches late in January and aside from the fact that whatever you think about the day it's a public holiday and therefore you know you know it's a, it's a great three days to schedule a test match for Cricket Australia to have you know the Friday the public holiday January 26th and the weekend um, but you know would Cricket Australia actually do that now in the, the light of what's happening in the current climate would they be comfortable with the Australian men's national team playing on January 26th what do you think about that? I think in the not too distant future, it could become a little bit like Anzac Day that you play on the day, but you begin with rather than celebration of Australia Day, because that's on a different day, you begin with a solemn ceremony in recognition of what occurred. And I think that Cricket Australia could take the lead in doing that. It might cost them a bit of um, criticism, but I think that would be an ideal time to do that um, next year and to um, recognise it for what it is. And then if, if, um, the future Australia Day is on a on a public holiday. Then on that day, if, if there's if it's during the cricket season, by all means, play the the national anthem and have a a, a, a ceremony celebrating um the national day. Then, yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, I agree. Um, so that's where we are at the moment. Um, all right. Uh, so moving on from that, um, do you want, are you able to turn your camera back on now, Paul, or is it still? Yeah, I, was, I turned the camera off because I had um. Groceries being loaded into the fridge behind me, which I thought would be not what everyone would want to see. The groceries are still, I think, I think we're almost, almost done. there. Um, almost yeah. there. So let's continue with the headlines. Um, well, we've seen the benefits of having the Australian players back in the Big Bash with Steve Smith scoring a mammoth 328 runs in four innings at an average of 109, a strike rate of 180 with 24 sixes. That includes back-to-back centuries, one at Coffs Harbour and one at the SCG on Saturday night. I was fortunate enough to see the century at the SCG. It was absolutely phenomenal, some of the the most exciting, exhilarating batting I've ever seen. Uh, It's just been an absolute joy to watch Smith in this kind of form. It's just been incredible, hasn't it? Yeah, I remember watching the Coffs Harbour one in full and absolutely loving it. It's just um, when, when Steve Smith is absolutely at his best in white ball cricket, there's there's no better batter to watch because you, you don't know where the ball's going to end up. There's a bit of Phil Hughes about it where he hits the balls to unusual angles and it's electrifying. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, I've been so thrilled with the way that he's played. Uh, it's, just, it's just a triumph. It's so, you know, for, for the wonderful season he had in England in 2019 and um, then since then he's been very good but not quite as good and to now this summer have seemingly got back to that very, very best, then there is that sense of you're watching history. You know, you know he may well go down as the second best batter of all time. It, it's an amazing thing to sort of to, uh, to contemplate. And when he bats like that, it's, it's, it's joyous. And I feel a bit... Um, uh, look, I stayed on his case as saying, yes, he should be in the Australian T20 side 
for a long time. Um, and it was only kind of recently that I changed my position from he's got to be one of the first picked to I'd still have him in the squad, but on an absolute belter, I'd have him out of the 11 and have him in the 11 for the the, the pitches where it's maybe uh, a little bit more difficult and um, a 50 ball 50 is going to be uh, match winning as a couple of the innings he played in the, in the world cup that we won back in the UAE, he played a couple of nice little 15 or 20 run innings that, that, that were important. Uh, so I think to, in my own defense, as this method of his batting, this brilliance of his in the, in the T20 that we just said in the big bash, um, he's shown sparks of that at T20 level before, but and certainly at fifty over level before those two sixty ball centuries he scored a couple of years ago in the in the fifty over stuff, but he probably wasn't doing it enough. And so I think we were I was justified in saying, yeah, I think his position in the side does come under under some scrutiny. But now that he's answered his um, you know critics like that, then uh, yeah, rush him back into the side. Yeah, just extraordinary. The 24 sixes is, just blows me away. He's the leading six hitter in the competition. He hit 66 off 33 in his most recent innings against the Hobart Hurricanes. And unlucky to be out. Well, not unlucky. He missed a full toss, but he looks set for another century. Uh, you know, nothing lights up the big bash like a local star putting on a performance like this. We love all the international players coming here, but in the end, Australians are so one-eyed, we'd much rather see one of our own doing this than, than an overseas star. So uh, just incredible. To some degree, I'm not sure that it's one-eyed. It's just, it's what you're familiar with. Um, mm. You know, if it was a massive overseas star who we'd come to know really well, like De Villiers or whatever else, I think that'd be, be close. But just a question without notice, I've been hearing a, a couple of times in the last few days, commentators on um, the, the, the network say, you know, the big bash is back. Um, it's turned the corner. There's a, there's a sense of momentum around it. What are your thoughts on that, Menace? Well, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, I think this has been a much better season, uh, but I mean, that's, you know, that's put up against two seasons that were heavily impacted by COVID. So we're certainly seeing a, a much better season in, in all facets, you know, having the international play stars here at the beginning of the competition and then having the test, the Australian test players come in when they all leave has meant that the quality has been pretty good. I still think the gap between sort of the best two sides, the Sixers and the Scorchers and some of the other ones is actually too big for a, a competition of this standard, not in results, but you know, if I compare it to the IPL, you know, the teams there that are bottom of the table usually have just lost a few, you know, they usually lose close games and are very competitive, whereas I don't feel the lower sides in the big bash have actually been strong enough, Melbourne Stars in particular. So I think it has bounced back. But, you know, even if you look at the average crowd, you and I were tracking them pretty heavily. I mean, I think it's around 15,000. I mean, that's nowhere near what it was, say, four or five years ago. So I don't know. I, I think uh, the ratings are up. Go Sorry, ahead. I was going to say, I, I agree with that, but I think it's higher than maybe the season had started to feel like it was going to be. Like, I think it's, if you and I had had, the, if we'd done our um, uh, maths and worked out a prediction a few weeks ago, we might have guessed more like twelve or 13,000. I think it's a little bit better than we thought. might have thought. Yes, definitely. And, and look, I do have... I do wonder how the competition is going to finish because all the test players will be in India for the test series. So you're going to have a fine, you know, the final series basically with not many overseas stars and not many of our big stars. And then it'll be, you know, like we saw last summer, it'll be Hayden Kerr opening the batting and hopefully winning the Sixers a title, which is fantastic, but it's not the box office that, you know, you'd expect of, say, Steve Smith. True. Um, it is so hard. Because... Sorry to pick on Hayden Kerr. He's a great cricketer. He's a, yeah, he's a good player. He got 98, 98 that game. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I suppose in a perfect world, you'd have no big bash until after the Sydney Test match, and then you'd have a, a clear window where all the Australian players were available. Australia would lobby the rest of the world to have no international cricket played at that time. Maybe we'd still have to compete with some of the other leagues, but we'd be able to compete... Um, with our best foot forward, and it, I could see it returning to something like it was. Maybe never, maybe never quite as dominant as it got to with eighty something thousand for a, um, a Melbourne derby, but not far, not far short of that. But then you look at next summer, and when we're talking about the fact that they might have to be playing the when they're going to be playing the Test match series against the West Indies, well, it's, it's going to be in January, so that's already going to be um, far from ideal. Yeah, absolutely. So we won't have the Australian Test stars. Um, 
<laughs> they don't have the Australian test stars, you know, next summer. So you're right. Uh, so to answer your question, I've given you a lot of bullshit. What I'm going to say is I think it's bounced back, but I think it's a bit overblown. I think, you know, you put it against two really shitty seasons, of course it's going to do better because the fact is people can go to the bloody games now because COVID, we're out of the, the worst of the pandemic. Um, so, yes, that, that's where I'm at. I just want to go back to Steve Smith. So I received Craig um, Craig on Twitter says I need to eat some humble pie. But one of our because I didn't have Steve Smith in my T20 side. So Craig can he should be eating humble pie. He should be apologizing to me. He should be groveling to me because he if he was an astute listener like Sam who listens to the show really well, he knows that for years I have been saying Smith's best position in our white ball teams would be in Finch's spot, opening in 50 over and 20 over cricket. I started saying it before the 2019 50 over World Cup. I've been saying it, obviously, at times, like you, he wasn't in my best side, but kind of gave up with the whole Finch thing because the selectors weren't going to move him. But you're telling me Smith couldn't have been a better opener for the last four years in both white ball formats and Finch? Absolutely not. It's rubbish. He's been wasted. Yeah, and you would say that these three big performances that he's done since he's moved to opener would justify your stance. But I don't don't actually quite agree because I think that – Yes, Steve Smith's best position in T20 cricket. Of course it's opener because every single player's best position is opener. It's the best place to bat. Um, Absolutely. So, And I, I actually think that um, moving to opener is not necessarily the reason that he's batting so well. I think that if he was batting at number five, uh, I think he's just batting better than he has been in the past. No, um, see, so I disagree because I, he was talking about it after the game that he likes starting because I think Smith – is not a natural six hitter. And I know that's uh, farcical to say when he's just hit 24 sixes. But I think, and he said it after his second ton, he likes starting in the first um, power play, like everybody, because he can sort of get into the action. He can keep his strike rate up hitting boundaries, but there's not the field spread. So he doesn't have to take on the deep fielders. And then when he needs to take on the deep fielders, he's been out there for four or five, six overs. So he... As you're right, everyone wants to bat up there. But I think in Smith's case, when he powers not his natural game, that I, I like him opening where all he has to do is find the gaps, which he's probably the best gap hitter in world cricket. And, you know, interspersed between the brilliance of the big hitting in his innings, we've seen beautiful square drives where he splits the two fields at a point and cover in the first four overs and it runs away for four. I mean, it's just magnificent. So I, I think... But don't you think he's also improved? I think he's batting better than he has for a while. I think it helps when, like, he, you know, he's got those first four or five overs to get in before he starts trying to hit sixes. Um, Yeah. But, yeah, he's he's got a point to prove. I mean, there's no doubt he was stung by being dropped from the World Cup and he's come out and he's thought, I'm going to show the selectors what a mistake they made. And as you say, opening's the best spot. Well, then put our best bloody player there because, you know, it's like, why not? Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing, though, that our most destructive and best batters should always have been at the top in T20 cricket. It's ridiculous that Glenn Maxwell is not the opener. Uh, people will say, oh, you know, he's got to come in at, um, after 12 overs. It, you've got to give your best players the highest number of balls that they can face and also give them the opportunity to um, score runs when there are only two fielders out. And so, um, you know. So, sorry, can I, so in three days there's a T20 World Cup, right? Who would your openers be? Assuming Maxwell's fit, you'd Maxwell have what, and Water and Maxwell? No, Maxwell and David, of course. So Smith's not even opening in your side? No, I mean, um, I think he's, he, I would have no problems with him opening. But if I'm if I'm picking the side that's going to, uh, my life is on the line, um, of course I want David facing as many balls as possible. He, he might score 300, um, you know. Um, the, 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 I'm a bit that, off Maxwell. I mean, I, I, yeah, I like maybe David. as well, yeah. All right, um, let's let's compromise. We'll go David and Smith. Can we? Can you yeah, get on board with that? I can. Can you get a, Can um, you get around that as the Victorians yeah. would have it? So so let's just you know let's just take a realistic view now. So George Bailey and Andrew McDonald have consistently ignored all our suggestions. So no doubt they're going to ignore this one as well. If it was Warner and Smith opening at the twenty twenty four T twenty World Cup, and even later this year in the twenty twenty three fifty over World Cup, would you be comfortable with that? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's probably not who I would choose, but I, I'd have no problem with it because uh, I love Warner. I love Smith. They're both fantastic players. Um, mm. 
so yeah, um, it's probably not who I'd necessarily pick, uh, but um, I'm fine with it. But I, I reckon we should have a campaign for David to open. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I haven't closed the door on Warner just yet. Although I actually, I was saying to someone on the weekend that I found I find his form in the Big Bash quite concerning. Although he's got a, a, a he got a good ball from Riley Meredith, he's just looked a bit behind the pace and. Uh, one, you know, on Saturday night when Smith scored that brilliant century, you know, Warner scratched around for 16. And that concerns me that, you know, are we at the stage now where that sort of that 200 in Melbourne was kind of Warner's one good day and we won't see another one for a while? A bit like, say, Mark Taylor towards the end? Mark Taylor towards the end and the middle and the start. Um, oh, oh, so he started with like over 800 runs in the Ashes. I'm just, I'm just winding you up, mate. He really <laughs> did do well against that powerhouse English bowling lineup in 1989. It was, was it? Um, who was it? Um, the next three years, <laughs> next three or four years, he was. I reckon until '93, you can say he was the best opener in the world in that four years. I think he was a very, very good cricketer and um, was borderline Test level, and that's a compliment, <laughs> which his record would sort of kind of indicate. Um, now, um, where were we? Warner. We're talking about <laughs> Warner's form, like that he's getting a bit patchy. The fact that he struggled in the big bash when he should be dominating. Yeah, and the, look, the, the difficult thing is going to be he's going to how's he going to succeed against India and England away? Uh, it's going to be just so challenging. So um, I, I'm still I'm still willing to persist with him, but I am worried, as I've said before on the show, about, about the high number of left-handers we have um, for the for the series against India. So finally, Craig, I'll accept your apology whenever you're willing to send it. There's hours of tape of me saying Smith should open. Um, uh, so sticking with the big bash, um, I mean, as we're recording this, the finals are not decided, so I don't want to go too much into it, but the Sixers and Scorchers are through, uh, clearly the two best sides in the competition. Uh, Dan Christian, the Sydney Sixers star and Manners Masterclass guest on this podcast, has made the decision to retire from professional cricket at the end of the season. I wonder if Stephen O'Keefe will do the same. Um but yeah, I mean, you know, Christian's been a magnificent short-form player, and hopefully the Sixers can lift their te- his tenth T Twenty title, which is you know that's amazing to think he could. Well, he's won nine T Twenty comps. Yeah, it's um, he's uh, yeah, that's what we always talk about. He wins wherever he goes, and he was always a player that I was kind of um, and didn't have strong stronger feelings towards. And then about two years ago, he became my favourite from nowhere. Um, and I really enjoyed uh, watching him and cheering him on. It does feel probably like it's about the right time now. He's still good enough, but it's probably um, now is probably a good time to give it away. Uh, he seems like a really nice guy and a smart guy. So yeah, um, good on him. Great career. Uh, just one more point on the um, game from Saturday night. Um, the Sydney Smash Derby was a Fox Sports only game, so it wasn't on free to air. So millions of young children around Australia were deprived of seeing uh, Smith's. 120 odd off 62 balls, 66 balls that may have inspired a few of them to pick up a bat. What do you think? It's just disappointing. It's just kind of, uh, you know, we've uh, we've expressed it many times on this show that how disappointing it is that the white ball internationals are behind the paywall and that some of the big bash is behind the paywall. And, um, you know, I know you can't really say much more. It's just you would hope that the games that are behind the paywall, they shouldn't be premium games like the Sydney Derby. Um you know, that's in, in the football codes that they tend to say, right, the games that are going to be on free-to-air are the biggest games of the round and pay TV can have the rest. They should do the same, that they should schedule in advance and sort of say, okay, well, let's not have a Sydney Derby or a big Sydney-Melbourne game um, as one of these. Let's pick what, it, you know, without disrespecting the other sides, what amounts to a lower-profile game, and that's your exclusive content for Foxtel, not a Sydney Derby. I must say, though, whether it's got anything to do with it being available on free to the crowd was sensational. They got almost 39,000 people there. It was one of the best atmospheres at the SCG I've been to in a long time. Absolutely loved it. I actually walked over and found Jaleesa um, sitting in the outer. Um, and she was. I found, I found out some mates for you. There was the whole Supercoach crew uh, sitting there, Paul. I Honestly, I saw these blokes and thought, Paul would fit in here so well. You know, they were drinking beer, talking stats. Um, I was just like, Paul would be right at home with this Supercoach crew. And how did you fit in since you've bagged the hell out of Supercoach on social media? (laughs) No, they were really nice. Um, (laughs) uh, Absolutely. I met the chiropractor. I can't remember his name. Had a good chat with Jaleesa. But, yeah, fantastic atmosphere. And, you know, I always say 
it's, it's, the, the Big Bash is much more affordable than Test cricket. If, if you if you want to get out to something, you'll always have a good time at the Big Bash. It, it's always Agreed. something to look at. Um, yeah, and that's kind of partially to what I was saying around the, the feeling of something has moved in a good direction with the Big Bash because no matter what season, to get 39,000 there is is impressive. Now, there's a few uh, topics around the women's game I want to touch on. But before we do that, Paul, you lit up TikTok with your Safraz Khan take. Now, um, for those that aren't on TikTok, Paul made a, a suggestion to the Indian selectors and, and about you know 4 million people have now seen it on TikTok and they've mostly commented. Now, I've um, been doing – so Safraz Khan, for those not aware, is averaging 80 in first-class cricket, hasn't been – picked by India. Now, I've done some digging. I've asked some Indian cricket journalists why hasn't he been selected. They've given two reasons. One is fitness, and the other one is he has a bad reputation that he struggled with behaviour early on and even, you know, maybe, um, yeah, maybe has had issues with other teammates that make him um, the reasons maybe he's not being picked. I mean, I've heard rumours he may have even hit another teammate at some point. I haven't heard those rumours. I have heard the fitness ones. Um and I have heard the talk of um, that he hasn't succeeded in some of the A games when he otherwise might have. But I still think, and also there's there's a perception that um, runs are easier to come by than wickets are in the Ranji Trophy. That um, uh, you know that's why I was so um, bullish on Mohammad Siraj a couple of years ago because he averaged 23 in the Ranji Trophy as a fast bowler. And I thought that's impressive. So on the flip side, um, you probably need to lop a couple off batting averages, but you've got a lop. You've got a lop a lot off an average of 80 to get it down to somewhere where he shouldn't be picked for a side. He's played 52 matches as well. So it's not like he's had um, no sample size. Uh, it's only the first two matches that he hasn't been picked for. Um, so anyway, it's um, uh, it's interesting. They picked Surya Kumar Yadav in, in his place. And I've got no problems with that. If I was an Indian fan, I think, yeah, just because a lot of his form is in white ball cricket, he looks so amazing. He looks like he could do something at, um, at red ball level he'd, as well. He'd be but, opening um, the batting for you, wouldn't he? With Tim David, um, yeah, I'd, I, 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 you know, I know you think I'm an absolute idiot. I would genuinely consider Tim David for this Test series. Um, you know, I, I think he could do pretty well. Um, and you're, you're laughing because you probably laughed at the ocean, the notion of David Warner playing um, for Australia no, I did twelve it. years ago. I did it. I did it. No, no, just I'm like just... you thought they should never get rid of horses in favour of the motor car. No. <laughs> 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 That's it. We go back to the. I didn't even want to bring in the metric system. All right, um, so. Just on the Indian tour, I've been doing some digging. You know, you and I reported that there was going to be one pink ball test match. I think India have scrapped it, which would be great for us because we're doing daily reviews and that's going to finish late. But I've been in touch with some journalists and we can't find anything about it. And we think India have decided, well, actually playing with a pink ball really gives Australia an advantage. We're just going to play, you know, four day test matches on raging turners. Well, wouldn't surprise me. It's par for the course that these series, that the details get locked in far too late. And one of the things, the criticisms I have of non-Ashes test cricket is that they don't lock things in earlier. I've said before, if you ask me, uh, hey, I'm getting married in um, August 2027. I'm sorry, I'm not coming. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm watching the Ashes because I know that they're on four <laughs> years from now. Um, so the fact that there's still kind of a speculation about whether there's a pink ball test on it and also... Uh, people are going to say, well, you know, this is naive, but pick pick what's the best for test cricket. Um, if you had a pink ball test at that new big stadium and ended up getting crowds of 80,000 or 90,000, that is fantastic for test cricket. Um, that's what they should be doing it for. Um, so mm. anyway. Right, moving on, uh, there's a few issues in the women's game I wanted to talk about. The first one is um, actually going to point to another podcast. It's called The Ticket. That's the name of the podcast, and it's hosted by Tracy Holmes, and it's an ABC podcast, and she's done an episode on the plight of the Afghanistan women's cricket team. It's, a, it's an hour podcast, and she speaks to uh, some of the Afghanistan women cricketers that fled Afghanistan and now reside in Australia. She spoke to the former head of the Afghanistan Cricket Board who's fled Afghanistan. She spoke to um, Nick Hockley, the CEO of Cricket Australia, and I urge you all to listen to it. Um, she provides all viewpoints. The, the former head of the um, 
Afghanistan cricket board is, you know, he brings up, he says, well, you know, it's easy for Australia to talk about human rights, but what about the soldiers that murdered all those people in Afghanistan? So he doesn't hold back. Um, so, look, I'd go and listen to it. We've talked about it enough on this show. I think you know where I stand. I don't think, unless Paul's changed his mind. Um, but, yeah, I think if you want to learn more, I'd really um, ins- recommend the Ticket podcast. And, yeah, and maybe we'll talk about it when you've had a chance to listen to it. But put it this way, if the attitudes of the former head of the Afghanistan cricket board are pervasive in Afghanistan, it's a very sad situation. Uh, for those of you who don't like um, political talk, fast forward probably 45 seconds. That's all I'll give it. Um, uh, I agree that it was the right thing. I agree it was the right thing to do to boy, to no longer play that the um, series against the Afghanistan men's side. I think there's no winners. It's very sad. It's not a perfect solution at all. And um, I understand people who say the Taliban won't care, um, but I still think that it's the right thing to do, however um, difficult it is. Um, I don't understand at all. There's no basis for comparison for the war crimes that Australian soldiers committed in, in Afghanistan. If if they did, then they will be hopefully investigated, punished and, um, you know, ferreted out. Uh, that's got no, you know, what's that got to do with anything? Um, you know, this is a very, very different situation. So um, I think it's the right thing to do, but it's very sad. Yeah, I agree. Staying with um, women's cricket, um, fantastic. The first ever women's under-19 20-over World Cup is um, underway. And, I mean, it's really shown the way the women's game is growing. Uh, Rwanda beat the West Indies in a game, um, which just shows, um, you know, Rwanda's got a great women's team. So I just think, you know, women's cricket is just going to go from strength to strength. And I'm so glad that they've launched the first (coughs) under-19 T20 World Cup and then of course the the Australia is playing in the T20 World Cup in South Africa next month trying to go for a three-peat of T20 titles so magnificent couple of months for women's cricket. Absolutely and when is the first proper women's IPL? This year I think a bit later on isn't it? Um, I think that's again going to be much like the men's was um, a landmark moment in the sport. I'm really looking yes. forward to that. And well, I reckon I wait to see the auction. Yeah, and the auction yeah. as well. Yeah, see how sure. much the Aussie, I mean, Elise Perry, Meg Lanning, you name it. Um, news today uh, that um, New South Wales cricket have launched a new competition for the women's game that's sort of a bridge between grade cricket and the WBBL, a way of developing the talent in New South Wales. So, you know, that's a great initiative and, um yeah, I just 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 really thrilled the way the women's game is going, and you know they are loved. I mean, you know, I went I went today to North Sydney Oval expecting a smattering of people, and you know there are hardcore fans of that team. Um, maybe this is the wrong time to say it, but would it have been better if that game today had been a T Twenty? Well, it was a T Twenty. It would have. It was a T Twenty. It was the first of the three match series. So they just. They just beat them in three fifty-over oh, games. Okay, I'm stupid. No, you're not. Megan Shute took five for fifteen today. Um, so yeah, it was a really good game. Um, any more highlights? Oh, oh, there was one bit where um, uh, Talia McGrath was bowling to Nita Dar, and Nita Dar pulled away at the last minute and was bowled. And um, the umpires went to Meg Lanning and said, "Would you like to appeal?" And she said, "No." But uh, I think they, Australia would have been well within their rights to appeal. Yeah, this is from the other day, isn't it? It's not today. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a few days ago. Um, that's the one that freaked me out is that it's just become everywhere on social media. I can see why, you know, it's, it's good clickbait. But all the comments are, that's out, that's out, that's out, that's out, that's out. And they are ignoring the fact that actually, no, it shouldn't have been out because clearly she wasn't. People who said, oh, she saw it was too good a ball and pulled away. It's like, come on, if she can, no. if she's that good at reading line of the length, then she doesn't need to pull away. Um she looked up and saw that the bowler was almost upon her. She wasn't quite ready. She pulled away very late. And, yeah, maybe it could have been given out, but it was fine. And the Australians handled it in the absolute correct way. Um, you know, if you start doing it every second ball, that's going to be different. But it's the first and only time I've seen it that late. It's a non-issue. And all these people are saying, it should have been out, it should have been out, it should have been out. No. What happened is what should have happened, that people used a bit of humanity and intelligence and just said, let's just bowl the ball again. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, like I think when you get into the spirit of game stuff, it's pretty murky. But I, I don't think this was. Um, you know, I think Nita Dar would 
want to be careful not to do that because I thought it was, you know, you should be ready. I mean, oh yeah, there's know. no yeah, it's completely. Your your but, job as a batter is to be ready. She was wrong in doing it, but it was just like, why would you want to then enforce that? Because because no, there's no malicious intent. It was just one of these things. Fix it up, move on, and, and that's what they did. And I think that's mm. um, you know that was it was well handled by all except for social media that's then talked about it for days as though it's an issue when it wasn't. All right, that was all the cricket headlines. Now let's jump into listener questions and reviews. We'll start with the reviews. Um, the first review, and you love this, it's on American iTunes. So we've got to listen. We've got pl- a lot, thousands of listeners in America, but it's always good when we hear from them. It's Aussie Chris. He's given five stars. He's wrote, it's good stuff. Worth a listen. I just don't understand why Menace hates Pat Cummins so much. Having that much salt in your diet after the sacking of Langer is bad for your heart. Now, Chris, really appreciate the five-star review. Thank you. I really don't hate Pat Cummins. I respect him. I like him. I think he's, you know, I, I really like him. I'm glad he's Australian captain. Do I agree with everything he's done? No. But you can still, like, disagree with someone and like and respect them. Thing is, Menace, if they did a – and thanks very much for the review, I agree. But if they did a thing where they had a um, – a bar of how much you liked someone versus what would be considered normal and average. And, you know, you pick a player like Peter Siddle, your bar would be very close to the average bar. You pick mm. a, almost every player would be very close. Your bar for Justin Langer would be 10,000 feet higher than the average. And that is what is skewing your views. What, it's not what, true. Cummins, what Cummins did, if anything, with regards to Langer was brilliant leadership. There was an unpopular coach who'd done a good job and had his time and he was – from the players, at least, um, they got rid of him with um, the least pain. Cricket Australia should have handled it a whole lot better. I feel bad for the Langer for the way it went down. I have a lot of time for Langer in a lot of things, except potentially commentary. But I think his time as Australian coach was um, had run its course and, and Cummins helped move him out. And that's absolutely fine. And the fact that you don't feel that way, it's your prerogative. But I think that, um, what did he say? You know, it's not good for the heart. You've got to calm down a bit. Well, I mean, I still... I just think it's, Australia would be much better off if Langer was their coach until the end of this year. And, uh, you know, it's a bit like the Bob Simpson thing that a lot of the players that played under Bob Simpson hated him at the time. But when they've looked back on him, they've thought how good he was for their career. And I think, um, you know, Australia, the Australian players potentially are in that situation. Um, yeah, but I think and, and Simpson I do, did a lot but, of the good as well. And it was, it was also time for him to move on at the time. But, but don't you think, like, Anyway, I don't want to get into it, but like Kawaj is saying in like the Sydney test, oh, I haven't done a warm up all summer. Doesn't that worry you? No. Um, okay, fair enough. I mean, it worries me because I just think, okay, that's fine when you're winning, but when you start losing, all of a sudden everyone's pointing the finger at who's not working hard enough. And, you know, but I don't like think that they're not working hard. Um, I think there's a difference between uh, maybe, maybe under Lehman, they weren't working quite as hard as maybe they should have. I don't know. Um, I mean, he, he might dispute that. I don't think there's any question under McDonald that he's that they're being mollycoddled and things are soft. Um, I, I think that they're just probably approaching it at a, at a professional level. But I think that Langer um, did a lot of good. Uh, but I just think his mm. time had come to its um, end. Yes. I mean, and so I think... Anyway, look, next review. This is from Emp Style. Five-star podcast for a two-star summer. Wonderful reflection on each day's play for a very average summer of the great game. I calculated only 702 of a maximum 1,350 overs for for the three tests versus South Africa were bowled and 679 overs of a possible 900 overs were bowled against the the West Indies. That's approximately 53% of the game was played over the entire test summer. No wonder our cricket memories of summer are fading for the future generations. All they remember is a big bash game they went to when they when they were my age. Now, if I was Foxtel or Seven, I'd be asking for a forty-seven percent refund. It's just, this is a relative of yours. Well, he's pulled up all those stats. <laughs> it's very okay. It's a good point. Um, it touches on another point that I think I've I've had concerns with for a while that each summer now seems to go by at lightning speed, even though the content is still there. It's just that because it's condensed so much that the first test to the last test now is the shortest it's ever been that I, you know, I look forward to the Australian summer coming so much for the, for the men's tests. And then before I know it, it's in, it's in the rear vision mirror in a way that it didn't used to be once. Now I know it can't be that way anymore, 
but I remember years ago um, that when the touring side would come and they'd play games and then you get to know them and there'd be longer gaps between the test matches, it gave a longer period for the summer to sort of breathe. And that's, you know, that's no longer feasible. It doesn't mean it can't be sort of regretted. Mm. Yeah, good points there from Emp Style. All right, some more questions. This is from Kerwin and Kelso, now Kiwi friends. Um, hi, Menders and Paul. Would love to hear you discuss the relevance of two LBW rules, hitting in line and outside leg. Is it time for them to go when DRS is available? I think bowlers would say yes. I don't think so. But what do you think, Paul? Great question. I love this question. Um Look, I mean, I've, I've never actually had it confirmed, but I believe the reason that there is these extra rules, the reason that the law is not just if it's hitting, it's out, is that back in the day, they probably wanted to give the umpire some parameters so they didn't start making cowboy decisions. I think that now um, we are at a time when these questions should be up for debate. Um, taking them separately, because I think that the removal of the need for the ball to be uh, hitting between wicket and wicket. In other words, if it hits you outside the line of off stump and you are still playing a shot, should that be eligible to be out? I think there's more chance of that happening than there is for balls pitching outside leg. Um, I'm very much in favour of considering that because I think that so often you see um, a ball that's crashing into the stumps and it's ending up being overturned because it's hitting the batter outside the line of off by a, a fraction I don't think that that's right. I think the bowler has completely won the, the victory, won the battle against the batter. And the only reason the batter's still there is because they got their leg, their heavily padded leg in front of the ball, which is not what they're meant to be using. They're meant to be using the bat. Um, and so I also think it's a huge point for confusion in the LBW law. The fact that you've got to, when you're explaining it to someone and say, oh, but if if they're not playing a shot, that that muddies the water. So many people think that um, that the not playing a shot is more significant than it is. I think if you just made the law, unless it's pitching outside leg, if it's hitting, it's out, that would make things a hell of a lot simpler. And I think that in this day and age where, by and large, batters do dominate, and I am one and I think others agree, test cricket especially is better when the ball is a little bit on top then giving something back to the bowlers is probably not a bad thing. So on that side of it, I'm pretty in favour of it um, being strongly debated and considered. Mm. Need to get you on the MCC Lords Committee. Uh, Good question. I think, yes. Sorry, go on. I I was just going to say that the problem with the the pitching outside leg stump is that the the fear is that it leads to negative bowling where bowlers sort of come around the wicket and just sort of, yeah, pitch outside leg stump, attacking the stumps from that way that could be very unattractive to watch. And that is why I am not as bullish on that one. I, I would like to see that trialled somewhere. Apparently, um, my, my old boss was from New Zealand. She was very proud of the fact that um, New Zealand was the first place to have ATMs. Um, maybe they should trial this as a New Zealand first-class season of saying it, it could pitch outside leg because the whole notion of that they're going to bowl round the wicket and attack leg stuff. If I was a batter, I'd be like, good on you. I'll take it. I'll take you for four through mid wicket every day. It might not actually eventuate. And you know what would have been not out um, if this law uh, with, with the current law, if Mike Gatting had just prodded forward a little bit more and got his pad in, in the way of the ball of the century, that pitched outside leg stump. Um, that would have been not out. There are balls where left-handed opening batters uh, get plumb in front and it turns out, oh, the ball pitched right arm over the wicket bowler. The ball pitched a millimetre outside leg stump and that, that's overturned. I think it's worth exploration. And I would be, I, I think trial it, as you said, because you don't want a negative bowling coming in. I'm not so sure that it actually would actually come in. So I'd like to see a trial. Um, leg spinners would obviously love that law if it mm. were changed to pitching outside leg stump. Good questions, um, Kerwin and Kelso. Now from Martin Lawrence, which team is best placed to maybe challenge Australia in the Women's T20 World Cup? Martin right, has in- Go on, sorry. Uh, I was going to jump in before you said something. Um, I want no. you to just pick one team in a minute. But go on, fix, finish the question. Martin said India, England and South Africa. Um, and I I think um, I think that no one can actually challenge Australia. I, I think that's, that's the thing. Australia is so much better. But in T20 cricket, if, if one player has an outstanding day, maybe they can cause an upset. And I think, you know, India has the talent. England has the talent. South Africa has the talent. They're the three teams that I think could beat Australia. Maybe New Zealand? Maybe. Um, I just, they've got some good players, but I feel like South Africa at home – 
could really do some damage. But I just don't think anyone's going to challenge Australia in, unless something special happens. So if you're one prediction, I'll put myself on the line as well. I'm going to say it's Australia-India final again. What are you going to say? I'll go with the same because I, I think India is my team that I think actually is the best chance of beating Australia. Maybe Australia won't even make the final. Maybe it'd be like an India-South Africa final. Um well, mate, you've, you've certainly had a bet each way there where you've implacably declared that no one can beat Australia and then you've also said they might miss the final. <laughs> well, that's it. But that's how things are agreed. I sort of still feel that, you know, if, if like what happened in the 2017-50 over World Cup, Australia yeah. came up against a rampaging India in the semi and were knocked out. But if they'd played that game 10 times, maybe Australia would have won nine of them. Um, yeah, true. So, uh, but yes, good question, Martin. Thank you. Um, we've got a couple of quick questions here. Um, uh, SS98 Smith playing basketball in India in the next few months. Now, this actually made me think um, that although it's not perfect preparation for the Indian tour, I like the fact that Smith's going to go to India in form with the sort of um, baggage of hitting all those sixes, and maybe he's going to take on the Indian spinners, and he's our by far our best player of spin, and and could actually do some damage. Absolutely, and especially if they are raging turners, sometimes aggression is the way to go. That um, uh, a streaky sixty odd can be worth a hundred and fifty on another pitch. Depends whether they bring out the raging turners or the the more kind of modern Indian wickets that are slow and low, and then start to accelerate the game on late on day three and into day four, uh, then maybe you can play in a more orthodox fashion. Agree. Now, Ruban, did the BBL unearth the next generation of T20 players for Australia, especially for the 2024 T20 World Cup, or will, will Australia go with the same batch as last year's team? Uh, good question, Ruban. Um, what I would say is no, certainly didn't unearth um, a multitude of talent. There's certainly been some bright sparks. Young Johnson from the Brisbane Heat's been bowling quick. He looks like a handful. Matt Short at the top of the order. But I don't think it'll be radically different. You'll see Josh Inglis probably probably play for Matt Wade. Maybe you'll see Nathan Ellis come in. But mm. generally, I think Australia will stick with roughly, hopefully Finch is gone, fingers crossed. But I, I don't think you – there's no one in the big bash you've got, oh, they have to be in Australia's side apart from Steve Smith. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. I think they'll go with a very largely similar side to what they had. Uh, what about Paddy Dooley? You reckon he'll be in? Uh, I mean, maybe. Uh, I still think – is the second best sprinter in the competition uh, behind Stephen O'Keefe. But, yeah, I mean, I'd love to see him up against some really good batters um, and see how he goes. Uh, let's see how he goes. He went to the T10 tournament um, at the end of last year and played there. It's hard to tell because it's T10. They think, you know, he was going at 10, 15 and over, but it's T10. Um, okay, Steve Carlisle, who's asked a question, who would be in your haven't played for Australia T20, but could do. Um, and then he's given me his team. So I think actually he's had his team ready and he's just wanted to give it to us. Now, Paul and I um, haven't, I haven't got a team for my, haven't played for Australia T20 in my back pocket, surprisingly, Steve. Um, but thank you for providing yours. <coughs> so Steve's got Matt Short, Caleb Jewell, Sam Harper, Aaron Hardy, Jordan Silk, Ollie Davies, James Basley, Nathan McAndrew, Henry Thornton, uh, Johnson from the Heat, and Todd Murphy, the spinner. That's an awful side. So, I mean, they would not win a game. I mean, God, uh, yeah, it's not bad, but I mean, yeah, I mean, Jordan Silk playing for Australia, give me a break. Um, so, anyway, go on. What do you think of that team? <laughs> Looks all right to me. I mean, it's a hard one. I, I'd have to sort of sit down with pen and paper and sort of work it all through. A, who, you know, because a lot of people like, you know, like Ben Dwarshus has played for Australia, I think, hasn't he? Um, mm. You know, there's there's a few people that um, you might not think who've played for Australia have. Uh, I like the fact that Ollie Davies oh, is in there. I'd um, forgotten Dan Christian took a hat trick for Australia in one day international cricket. When I when they were talking about his career, I totally, you know, played one game, a few games, played against Sri Lanka, took a hat trick one day. Um Speaking of yeah. surprising things. Mm -hmm. uh, just on this team, Matt Short's pretty good. Aaron Hardy is a huge star. I mean, he's going to be something special, a bit like Cameron Green. Ollie Davies, I like. Apart from that, I mean, name one, name one or two that you'd bring in then. Okay, yeah. I, uh, probably Hardy, Tom no, no, no. Murphy. From outside this side that you would uh, nominate. 
from if outside. You're going to say it's rubbish. Um, who could you? No, I just think it's a rubbish team, not Carlisle's pick. I just think, you know, I just <laughs> okay. don't think any of these have made like a case to be. No, but the, okay, but by definition, he's saying they can't have played for Australia. It did sound like you were saying that his side was rubbish. And I, oh I no, no, no! I just mean like I'm like I can see why these players haven't played for Australia. That's what I'm trying to say. It'd be like if someone said, "Who's your best side that's um uh, has a batting average under 20? And then they named them. You go, "Oh, that's terrible! He only averages 17." That bloke. He's like, yeah, "That's that's the definition." I didn't mean dude. that. I didn't mean that. <laughs> um, yeah, and then you're right. Like, who would who would I put in there? Because uh, I'm saying, Rick- but based on the rules of the to- of the of that he's nominated, it's not actually that bad. No, no, within those rules, I'm just saying, like, yeah. if that was the Australian side, we'd never win anything. Um, <laughs> that's more what I'm saying. All right, so that's all the listener questions. Um, now we're going to go on to Can't Let It Go. Let's get into Can't Let It Go, that little bit of cricket news you just can't let go through to the keeper. Um, I'm going to bring in uh, our social media star, James. James, welcome. Hello, gentlemen. How are we? G'day. James has been doing some great stuff on social media, joining us for Can't Let It Go. I know he's probably very nervous about this, but Muggers, (laughs) uh, what is your Can't Let It Go? So um, thanks for the introduction, Manners. But my can't let it go is based on my favourite team from the BBL. I'm a Hurrubat Hurricane supporter, unfortunately. Um, they had a rough year and uh, Manners and I agree that th- their team is too good to be second last. Um, so last night was just the last straw for me. Um, I thought I thought Ellis gave it his go- best go and for Wade to leave an extra fielder out um, when we're already struggling and Ellis then got two fours hit off him in the last over. I feel bad for Ellis because he's such a good bowler in that team. Um, but, yeah, what would you guys do to that Hobart Hurricanes team after that season? Well, I, mean, I, think, they'll, I think they'll do better. I mean, the squad's good, but they're just, you know, there's a lot of issues with the coaching down in Hobart. There's been a lot of changes in the last couple of years. I think they need stability. Um, but you're right. It's been desperately disappointing. I mean, Wade and David and McDermott and Ellis, uh, you know, they're four great T20 players. I mean, Joel Paris has had a strange BBL. He's gone really cold in the second half. So, um, yeah, I can't explain it. As you said, they should be doing much better. One of the early shows of the year, I read out the one through 11 with just amazement saying this, this side should win the, I knew that some of the players were going to leave, but this side should win the big bash. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they need to get Ricky Ponting on board as coach. <laughs> You're playing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Zach Crawley coach. was disappointing. Um, and they've never won the BBL, you know, a team that has produced a lot of good players um, never lifted the title. Yeah. I, I, I have two options, which I would change. For next season, I think I don't really I don't really rate Matthew Wade as a captain, fielding captain. I felt like he left a bit on the plate um, for the bowlers. I thought Nathan Ellis captained a lot better when we restricted stars to one thirty. Um, and I think Tim David should open for sure. I agree yeah. with you, Paul. Um, oh I'm I'm a <laughs> Tim David stan. You could say I love the man. So. I think he needs to open with Jewel. I don't think Ben McDermott was so out of form. They should have pushed him down a little bit. Um, and, you know, Tim David needs to face as many balls as possible. Um, agree. Um, <laughs> I just no anti-Matthew Way talk on this show in future. Um, <laughs> I love him. I love him. I just thought his captaincy could have been a bit better. Okay, um, good. What's your can't let it go, Paul? Um, well... I read with dismay on social media last night that the um, the demerit point handed to the Roll Pindi pitch after the first Pakistan v England Test match has been rescinded, um, and they had a quote saying that the ICC appeal panel unanimously felt that the pitch had several redeeming features, which included the fact that the result was possible, that a result was possible, and that thirty-seven wickets were taken. Now. Uh, I was gratified to see just before the show that um, Malcolm Conn has tweeted out something also saying how much he disagrees with that decision. I, I just find that bewildering because that pitch, I mean, the, 
I watched every ball of the Australian series or 98% of them. And they were three of the most turgid, boring pitches that have ever been produced. I didn't get to see as much of this game or much of this game, but by all accounts, it was equally bad. And it was made into a great game purely because of England. Uh, and I went on at length on, a, on another podcast saying what a wonderful thing that was that England had done uh, for, for test cricket. I, I just think that this is wrong. And that um, if they've done this for, to appease Pakistan, that's obviously wrong. If they've done this for what they think are legitimate reasons, then that's obviously wrong as well. It's a critical moment for test cricket in Pakistan. If, if you were to say tomorrow that Australia's touring Pakistan and playing test cricket and that there was going to be proper pitches. Now, I'm not saying Australian pitches are always perfect. Far from it. But if at least Pakistan, I'm going to say, we're, we're going to have our best attempt to make pitches that have bounce and carry, um, give something to the batter with a bit of movement and then later on spin... And if that's what they were able to produce, I would watch. I would be so excited about Australia touring there. I'd be um, thrilled. I'd be saying, "Let's go there, Menas." You know, if we, if we can, mm. if they were to produce the same pitches that they produced for us this time around, I'd still watch it because I'm an idiot. And I've got no, I've got no life. But um, I'd be like, "Oh, this is going to be a tough grind to get through," and that's no good for for, for the sport. So. I, I just think that's really, really disappointing that they've um, overturned that. It, it needed a, at least one demerit point. Yep, agree. Uh, I've got two can't let it goes. Now, Paul has kindly provided another one. He said to me, just send me a text message. Should we mention Michael Clark? I cannot <laughs> believe I forgot to mention Michael Clark. So for those living overseas that um, – and this is what I find really strange about Michael Clark. Around the world is quite revered by other cricket nations, but in Australia he's, he's not very popular and um, he's – Paul, would you say he's the most unpopular ex-Australian men's captain? Oh, Graham Yallop is there. Um, no. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who else? I know Kim Hughes lost a few fans. Uh, I know Greg Chappell p- pissed a few people off when he stopped touring overseas. But it seems like Michael, like Michael Clark is he, – he, there was video of him in a park in Noosa, and I don't want to go into it. It's everywhere. Um, but he's he, – He's been sacked from commentating in India. Um, he won't talk about it on his radio show. Uh, he's just it's so – it's not even sad. He's just sad. I mean, if you watch that video, it's just a fucking awful. Yeah, look, a few things on that. Uh, I was joking about Graham Yellow. He's not – I'm meaning he's kind of – I just wanted to point out he had been captain. He's kind of not thought of that often. Um, I think it is weird. We hate him. No, no, I've <laughs> – I actually quite like him. Have a look at his um, highlights from 83, 84. He was dominant against Pakistan. Um, Nuggets has never heard of him. He's like Graham Hur. <laughs> I'll do my research it. after this. Sorry, <laughs> about, sorry about that. Google 83, 84, Graham Yellow. Um, now, um, the I reckon Michael Clark has become so invisible. A lot of people, if you said to them, who was the captain before um, uh, Steve Smith, a lot of people might say Ricky Ponting. It's kind of like there's a mm. gap there that... Um, and it is weird how he is, uh, regularly gets gigs for ICC events and for overseas tours. But this summer in Australia, um, you know, they had channels nine, Channel 7 and Foxtel, SEN, ABC and Triple M um, broadcasting the cricket. Basically, everyone in Australia got a gig commentating except for Manners, me and Michael Clark. Um, and <laughs> No, uh, we got to do the Marsh Cup. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> Clark didn't do the that. Marsh Cup. <laughs> Apparently, Clark was one. The next one they're going to call if you said no. Um, I think that it is a strange thing, and um, I, I don't know him. I've heard his radio show a little bit. I find him quite entertaining to listen to. Um, so yeah, it's it's a bit weird that he's that unpopular. I, I think it's disappointing that India has cancelled his contract for this. Um, I think it's you know he didn't. Um, I mean, I know that the police are investigating whether they were causing sort of a, a menace to the public, but I don't think there's much. You know, you know, he was just. You know, it wasn't a good look at all, um, but um, I don't think he should have had his contract torn up over it. I don't think he's the greatest commentator. He's very astute from um, a technical point of view of the game because he was a great captain in terms of being aggressive on the field. He's the sort of guy I'd, very, I'd be very interested in hearing his thoughts after the day's play. Not sure I want him for half hour after half hour after half hour in my living room, but, you know, they've got Hayden over there who's even worse, so there you go. But, um, yeah, not a good week for, for Clarkie. I'm, I'm, I'm not... <coughs> I think it's the right thing they did to um, the right thing they did to sack him because you don't want that story sort of overtaking 
the cricket um, and sort of overshadowing it. So I don't mind that they've but it would given it, it benched him. And, it and look, interestingly, it. you know, people that you know, well, what's funny was Simon Kadich was trending trending on Twitter the day after it came <laughs> out. And for those who remember, you know, Kadich and Clark had that infamous dust up in the SCG dressing room. Um, so. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Kadich was trending. So, you know, a lot of Kadich was right, was being tweeted out. And, you know, what I heard about Clark is that he was very selfish, but he he, he wasn't the, the, a terrible bloke to play with. You know, like I think that should be made clear. He, he, you know, he was selfish and he was, it seems like he's, um, you know, focused on himself all the time. But his teammates actually don't say a lot of, of bad stuff about him. Um apart from maybe Simon Cadditch. But, yeah, I just thought it was, you know, it was strange to see an Australian captain um, in that situation. I sort of think, as I said, he's just the most unpopular ex-Australian captain. He's, no one is sort of endeared to him and uh, he's just sort of floating away. You talk about his radio show. He is interesting because he's opinionated, but I'm just surprised anyone listens to it because, I don't know, like you, I can get 10 minutes of him's fine, but. It's just a bit grating. Um, anyway, and my last can't let it go, moving on from Michael Clark, is um, I went to the North Sydney Oval today to see the, the women's game and a fantastic initiative from Cricket Australia. They had the, the trophy cabinet out there. So I got to see Australia's Women's T20 World Cup. I got to see the 50-over World Cup. I got to see the Women's Ashes Trophy. I got to see the Com Games Trophy. I got to see the Australia v India Series Trophy. It was a fantastic idea to get all the trophies there. And when you see them all together, you're just like, this women's team, I mean, we know it, but they've won everything. And I I sort of think about all the kids that were there today, sort of getting to go up to the World Cup and look at it. Just fantastic. The Australian Women's Cricket Team's Trophy Cabinet and the uh, World Women's Trophy Cabinet is basically the same, one and the same. They've just won yes. everything. <laughs> um, right, that was my can't let it go. Uh, so let, we'll wrap things up here. Um, we'll be catching up next week. I mean, we're so excited. We're just a couple of weeks away from the, the Test Series versus India beginning. Um, 4-0, baby. 4-0 to Australia. It's going to happen. 4-0 to India. Three innings <laughs> defeats. Um <laughs> Well, James, thanks for joining us. You've been doing a great job with all the social media posts um, on uh, Insta and TikTok. So thank you for that. Uh, hopefully Cheers, you'll aim to do better next year. Fingers crossed. On to pre-season. Good stuff. Paul, um, well, thanks for coming back after last week. I thought maybe you wouldn't turn up, but um, seems like we've sorted it out. You know, Jaleesa is going to come. Hopefully we can do more with Jaleesa, but I'm, I'm not holding my breath. The only reason I wasn't here last week was you you just sort of said, basically, you might just do one with Jaleesa. And I went, okay, cool. No, I'll have a week off. Well, um, just cause we, that, because we couldn't tie Like, it's impossible to get all the times. It's like a jigsaw puzzle, you know, of trying to fit everyone together. That's all. He's muted himself now. Thank goodness. Uh, best part of the show. <laughs> anyway, well, look, we'll leave it there. Um, Paul, thanks for joining us. Uh, James, thank you. Thanks for watching, everybody. Uh, we'll be back next week with another podcast. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.